0: Hello and welcome to a special afternoon edition of the Morning Blitz. My name is Connor Tapp and I'm joined today by 24-7 Sports National College Football writer Chris Hummer to help us take a rapid-fire accounting of the biggest surprises and storylines from week one of the college football season. Chris, let's start off near and dear to your heart. Uh, one of the noon kickoffs on Saturday and one of the many... Games delayed, uh, delayed or canceled because of weather. Uh, Maryland 34, Texas 29. Maryland jumped out to a 24 to 7 lead, but then the Longhorns scored 22 unanswered, and it appeared to all the world that Texas was well and truly back. However, Maryland responded with a ten-point run of its own, and Texas's last three possessions ended in turnovers. And the Terps win for a second year in a row, this time by a score of thirty-four to twenty-nine. Chris, what is up with Texas?
1: Well, uh, a lot of laughter nationally, I think, at uh, the way this program's gone. Uh, the phrase "Texas is back" has now become a joke, which I think is hilarious on its own. But uh, Texas still struggles. With the little errors in a lot of places, you saw a lot of boneheaded errors, like Gary Johnson's targeting penalty early in the game. You saw a lot of boneheaded errors late, like Sam Ellinger throwing two uh, interceptions on his final three drives. Uh, These are things that have constantly plagued Texas over the years, going from Matt Brown to Charlie Strong to now Tom Herman. And at some point, I think... It'll have to shift for this program to ever move forward. It's just—it's a hurdle Texas can't seem to get over. It's ingrained, and that's the biggest problem overall. Obviously, there's micro-level problems like the offensive line still is very good. Sam Ellinger is just a very average quarterback as a passer, and the defense at times can kind of seem to play down to its competition level. But uh, the mental errors this is just something that Texas is going to have to fix.
0: Yeah, I mean, no matter what state. Maryland's program is in at a given point. Texas should. Texas probably thinks it should be be beating Maryland, no matter how good the the Terps are in a given year. But at the same time, uh, probably we're talking about maybe part of this is just Maryland's pretty good. I mean, uh, I think I, I was honestly surprised that they had a performance like this in them, given everything they've been through this off season. But it seems like they just really. Uh, rallied around uh, Jordan McNair's passing and played together in a way that, you know, I, you know, with the talk of toxic culture and not to discredit any of that, but just given that all of that was out there, I kind of expected a completely disorganized and uninterested Maryland team. Uh, what we saw was the complete opposite. And we got another young Terp breaking out this time to Jones at one point had, had three touches and each of those touches went for a different type of touchdown. Um, so that was pretty cool to see. And who knows what's going to happen with, uh, with, uh, DJ Jerkin and everything, but it seems like Matt Canada put his hand up in this one and kind of reminded the world that, Hey, he's a pretty good football coach, did not it?
1: Yeah, I mean, can I would love to have been watching the game next to Ed on and asking him a couple questions there because it really, really didn't seem like that Canada was the issue in Baton Rouge last year. He's a excellent coach, and uh, I think you saw that. But Maryland's a team that I think probably coming into the year before June and everything that happened with that program, I thought could surprise some people. I did not think they'd handle it well, but you have to give a lot of credit to those players for playing inspired football and a lot of credit for Matt Canada and the rest of that staff that was still around for kind of getting that team ready to play because they looked really good in a lot of cases I know people are going to talk about Texas like I did for a minute to start this podcast but (laughs) this game is in large part about Maryland
0: in fairness i did set it up that way so that that's on me uh it it would have been funny if matt canada had won his first game as a head coach and lsu had grabbed the bet against miami but uh, that is not what happened at all lsu 33 miami 17 uh lsu came out hot in this one and miami kind of looked like maybe they're going to creep back into it late but uh LSU looking pretty good in this big game in a situation where not many people were expecting them to beat the Canes.
1: Yeah, I was. I was at AT and T Stadium. I, I don't. I don't want to pump the brakes on anything with LSU, but I would point out that Miami did outgame LSU in this game. So those of the, those people today severely overreacting to LSU's play probably should at least uh, slow things down a little bit. That said. LSU, considering all the talk that happened this offseason, looked pretty good. Joe Burrow wasn't spectacular by any means, but you could really tell there were some changes involved in that offense. And for the better, things were opened up a little bit. And Joe showed quite a bit of toughness, in my opinion. I think he's one of those guys that teammates really rally around. And LSU, for the next year or two, seems to have its QB. I think more notably with LSU is that defense looked excellent. That front seven, although the Clavion uh, Chase on news it hurt, was fast, it was fierce, and it looked like an LSU front. And when you kind of consider their corners and the kind of success they had with Fulton on one side and Greedy Williams on the other... Uh, there's not much of a better combination than that in college football. So in that regard, I think LSU did show quite a bit.
0: Yeah, Joe Burrow's stat line, 11-24, 140 y- yards, not flashy in the slightest, but he did so many of those like extremely coach's son things, like the hard count that drew Miami offside a couple of times and checking LSU in and out of plays. That And in situations where he did that, they tended to like rip off some pretty big gains. So uh, some composure out of the quarterback position that we haven't seen from LSU in quite a while, if not necessarily the overwhelming, uh, statistical production yet. Um, uh as you mentioned uh the box score you, you would you might be if you kind of covered up the scores you might be hard pressed to figure out which team won this game uh miami ended up outgaining lsu by about 50 yards as you said and some of that might be down to game state lsu up i think 33 to three uh late in this one uh but uh miami Uh, had some just really atrocious punting from Zach Fiegel's that kind of put them behind the eight ball early and also had to settle for a field goal or two field goals, one of which they missed and Malik Rozier threw two interceptions. So, uh, yeah, I kind of think, I kind of think lsu's probably not as good as they they looked or as good as the scoreline looked at certain points during this game and miami's probably i mean they've got some problems but and i don't know how fixable they are but i i think i think the overall performance was maybe not as bad as as some people thought um another similar game in that way uh virginia tech 24 fsu 3 uh Virginia Tech's defense, I mean, we were all expecting it to take a little bit of time for Bud Foster to get this young defense ready to play, but they were ready to play in game one, weren't they?
1: Yeah, like if, if you told me Bud Foster had been elected a uh, Virginia governor on the next cycle, I wouldn't be surprised at this point. He can probably do whatever he wants. That was such an impressive performance considering everything Virginia Tech lost this offseason. You had guys transferring out. You had two first-round picks lost. You had, I think, Virginia Tech was placing six or seven players on that side of the ball, and you came out there and shut what should be a pretty explosive Florida State team down. There was no cracks in that defense last night outside of that one long run they gave up. Uh, late in, I think it was in the third quarter, maybe early in the fourth, uh, Virginia Tech just swarmed. Um, I think you definitely have some questions about that offense, but that's a topic for another day. That defense, especially with that division and the schedule Virginia Tech has, which is very manageable, could easily carry Virginia Tech uh, to the ACC championship game and potentially into playoff consideration depending on how
0: things go. You mentioned that long run an eighty five yarder from cam acres, uh, I think that was indeed in the fourth quarter um outside of that run though fSU had only nine total yards rushing on twenty seven attempts so yeah, just a really dominant performance from virginia Tech's defense and uh, and that's that's that's
1: with one of the best backbone combinations in Florida and football by Florida State by the way, I know that offensive line was terrible, but there's not. There's maybe one other group of running backs in college football as talented as that Florida State group, and Virginia Tech just shut them down.
0: FSU turned the ball over five times, and that doesn't even take into account that they left four points on the board by not giving the officials time to review what should have been a Niqua Murray touchdown. And then at the end of that 85-yard run, how they conspired to not end up getting any points from that uh, scenario was pretty baffling also. So maybe not quite as big a disparity as that 24 to three scoreline indicated, but uh, because FSU should have had more points, but still a really impressive performance from Virginia tech and FSU, maybe not coming out of the gates as hot as some people expected in Willie Taggart's first year, at least on the offensive side of the ball, still some struggles there. Um, Not a huge surprise necessarily, but Alabama and Ohio state both seem like they finally have some quarterbacks that can really throw the ball. Don't they?
1: Yeah, I think Alabama and Ohio State are going to be just fine at the quarterback position. Uh, Ohio State, I thought Dwayne Askins looked as advertised. I think Dwayne Askins is going to end up being a one-year-and-out guy. He's got an NFL arm and an NFL frame. And in a lot of ways, I actually think that Buckeye offense is going to benefit from him uh, kind of running the show as opposed to JT Barrett. His ability to push the ball vertically is so different than what JT brought to the table And it's much more in line with what Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson want to do with that offense. And I think you saw the result of that on Saturday. Now it came against Oregon State, but I don't think that really should matter. Dwayne looked excellent Uh, on the other side of things, uh, the world saw. But I think almost everybody knew that Tua was going to play, Tua was going to start, and he turned out to be brilliant. I don't know if you... Could uh, kind of have a better first half than what he had, and I think he solidified that starting job pretty clearly. Not any insult to Jalen Hurts, but Tua is the better quarterback for that system and for what Nick Saban wants to do, especially when you consider the skill talent on the
0: outside. Uh,
1: were you surprised at anything that uh, came Ohio State or Alabama's way on Saturday? Uh,
0: not really. Um, I, I mean, it was we I, we knew Tua was good based on you know his. Uh, recruiting pedigree and what we saw him do in the national championship game but still the idea of uh, an Alabama offense actually being fun and exciting and having players do unexpected risky dangerous ill-advised things and it's still turning out okay is a very fun prospect to actually see out on the field so I am extremely here for the Tua Bailoa experience um Dwayne Haskins I, f- I feel like he had a pretty strong day but I feel like his stat line I went back and watched some of the highlights of that one and I feel like his stats were probably a little bit padded by the fact that he got lots of pop passes off on jet sweeps um, and a couple of those ended up going for touchdowns but he did make some difficult throws including one of the touchdown throws where he had to roll out of the pocket and make a throw to the corner so uh, definitely imp- and I think it's notable with Ohio State is that part of the thing with them the last couple of years is they've had all this talent on offense, and even when they have come up against bad defenses, which Oregon State absolutely is, um, they weren't even able to blow those teams out. So even though it's something that you'd expect from Ohio State, given their talent level, it's it's encouraging sign to see for the Buckeyes. Given, you know, not to – make a football program out to be the victim in the whole Courtney Smith uh, saga but given what those teams what the players on that team have been through as far as uncertainty about their head coach and everything that's going on there for them to put together that kind of performance in a situation like that I think is a really promising sign for Ohio State going forward Michigan really kind of laid a turd uh, in a 24 to 17 loss to notre dame um we were expecting shea patterson to kind of revitalize this wolverines offense and at the end of the day i mean maybe he can still but right now it just seems to me like this offensive line is going to be a significant hurdle for him to have to clear in order to have a very productive season for the wolverines
1: yeah, there were a number of really confusing performances to me over the weekend. Uh, Michigan State and Kansas State come to mind. But nothing nothing tops from what we saw out of Michigan on uh, Saturday evening. I, I really did expect Michigan to kind of have a much better season this year. I picked them to win the Big Ten. I thought everything would come together with Shea Patterson there. But I, just, I didn't see a lot of change in that offense. As you mentioned, that offensive line is a huge hindrance. I think the interior of that played worse than a lot of people expected. I think Michigan heading into the season felt pretty decent about uh, the guard positions and the center position and kind of suspect about the tackles, but all five positions at different times were an issue against uh, Notre Dame. And to be fair, that Notre Dame front is very good, but in order to win the big 10 East, you're going to have to face defenses like that multiple times. And, the bigger problem with Michigan, at least to me is it didn't really look like Jim Harbaugh and his offensive staff really embraced what makes Patterson good, which is the ability to kind of extend the pocket, which should help mitigate some of those offensive issues and kind of let him free a little bit. We didn't see much of that. I think we saw a lot of 12 and 22 personnel, which is what Mr. Harbaugh's traditionally run. And I, I think with a guy like Shea, if you're going to bring him in, you should embrace everything that comes with Shea Patterson, which is a bit more of risk, but also the opportunity to kind of uh, open things up a little bit. And Michigan, by and large, on Saturday didn't do those things, and I think it cost them. I think it's very notable that late in uh, the game in the fourth quarter when Michigan put together that long drive, that uh, Shea was able to kind of uh, open up the offense a bit more and, move around in the pocket. I know they're going to take a lot of criticism for the clock management on that drive, but I think that's what you should see from Michigan's offense all season, not necessarily what we saw the rest of the game.
0: Chris, uh, another game that you were on hand for was uh, in you were in Norman to see Kyler Murray in Oklahoma beat the doors off of FAU 63-14. to 14. I personally was expecting... Kyler Murray to be a little bit less convincing than he was and that for maybe this uh, is his head more in his MLB future than his college football present to be a storyline we're going to have to be dealing with uh, deep into the season here. But it seems like at least through week one, he's kind of put all that talk to bed because this was a hell of a performance for him.
1: Yeah. I just want to say if football is Kyler Murray's second best sport, he must be Babe Ruth in baseball. As all this comes down to because he looked fantastic on Saturday morning. Uh, I've watched Kyler dating back to high school. hes I've said this multiple times. He's the best high school football quarterback I've ever seen in person. And that's coming out of the state of Texas where there are plenty of great quarterbacks. And he kind of showed a lot of that poise. He showed growth. I thought he hung in the pocket and kind of went through his progressions really well. And he had total command of that offense. And that offense looked really, really good. Because that FAU team is not as bad as it showed to be. They returned a lot of talented players from an 11-win team. I know you just went out there and beat the doors off of them. I think for the game, Oklahoma averaged over 11 yards uh, per play, which means Oklahoma averaged a first down every time it snapped the ball, which is kind of a ridiculous idea of itself.
0: Yeah, up next for Oklahoma, they've got UCLA, and UCLA just lost to Cincinnati, which some people were predicting that upset, but man, to see Chip Kelly... Uh, lead a team to a defeat against the Bearcats traveling all the way out to the Rose Bowl that's that's a tough look for my guy is it not
1: <laughs> yeah it's, it's probably not the it's not the best start for the Chip trip for sure I think a lot of people are pointing out this week that Chip's first game as the head coach at Oregon was a huge loss to Boise State but at the same time that Boise State team I believe was ranked number five in the country the Cincinnati team is uh, not quite to that caliber. So yeah, I think Chip's gonna have some work to do. But that's also a team that, uh, had a pretty bare cupboard when he took over. There were a lot of, uh, there were a lot of things that Chip's gonna have to fix before the UCLA team is truly ready to kind of contend in the Pac-12.
0: We had some FCS over FBS drama, including Nichols State beating Kansas. You didn't quite call this one, but you were definitely warning people that this was a distinct possibility on uh, last week's uh, podcast. Uh, So is our our David Beatty, like, he's done, right? Yeah, I don't think so.
1: I don't think David Bain is gonna make it through this year. Uh you can't you can't lose to Nickel State. I mean, Kansas can and it did, and they I don't think they were alone in the uh FCS fought this weekend, which I always think is one of the most interesting stories of week one of the college football season, but Kansas is just it looked terrible on Saturday. The fighting Ronald Ollies are a great story, but uh Kansas has no business losing to Nickel State. And if it loses to Nickel State you can almost assure that Kansas is going to go 0-9 in the Big 12 this year, which is going to result in a, a regime change in uh, Lawrence.
0: Yeah, now it just seems like, all right, so this is going to happen. So when does it happen? Do you let the season run out? Do you start making moves behind the scene now? It'll be interesting to see how uh, Jeff Long handles this. Um, uh, another Another – fcs over fbs upset that has turned the heat up on a struggling program is ecu losing to north carolina a&t uh, tough loss for scotty montgomery hard to see him being along for that job uh what do you think chris yeah i
1: if there's if there was a head coach i'm just really shocked about how he's kind of performed at his job it's scotty montgomery he was really well regarded when ecu went out and hired him. Uh, Great assistant under David Cutlet Duke, considered a really strong, smart, offensive mind, but he just hasn't made this work here. Uh, I think you still have a lot of fans at ECU kind of clamoring for the days of Russell McNeil. Uh, he was kind of uh, ejected from that job without much warning, and I think a lot of people were shocked and a little angry when that happened, and Scotty's never really been able to rally the troops uh, in that regard. Not saying he doesn't have the team or anything like that, but just not kind of never come together and i think scott is gonna have a hard time keeping that job going after this year that's an aggressive program in terms of the uh kind of the need and the want to win you have a good fan base there and the way ecu's kind of performed the last two seasons probably will not result in scotty keeping his job for much longer
0: all right, shifting gears to some teams that had some or some players that had some much better weeks than any of the players on those teams did. Uh, uh, let's get into our Heisman frontrunners after Week One. Chris, who, if the season ended today, who would you have winning the Heisman Trophy? Uh,
1: I have Tua Tagovailoa right now winning the Heisman Trophy. I don't know about the season ending today. Sure, that's I think not- historically uh-huh. the Heisman. Well, I just I just mean like the historically the Heisman goes to the best player oftentimes in the best team or the best player. On one of the best teams and there's no question alabama is going to be one of the best teams at the end of the season and i think with the, just the half of football we kind of see how the Oklahoma, the uh, alabama offense is going to function with two as its quarterback things are going to open a lot, up a little bit in the passing game and two is going to have the numbers necessary to win the heisman trophy and as we saw with mark ingram and as we saw with derrick henry if Alabama has a player in that position, they're often going to win that award. But uh, I'm interested to see who uh, you've got at the top of those rankings because you told me it was a bit of a surprise.
0: Oh, well, it's not a bit of a surprise. It's just different than what you've got. Um, I'm going with Will Greer. Five touchdowns, 429 yards passing, and a convincing win over Tennessee for West Virginia. Now, I, I feel like Will Greer's performance, as long as he stays healthy this year, is going to be pretty consistent throughout the year. But that his Heisman hopes will probably be tied to how well the rest of his supporting cast holds up. But I am looking at West Virginia's schedule coming up here and they've got a pretty cozy start to the season. Um, I know in the big 12, which with as even as a lot of those teams are in that really big middle class there, you can lose a game you weren't expecting to in a hurry. But, uh, I mean there's this uh, there's a scenario where well I'm like looking at their schedule right now and I'm not saying hmm that'll be really tough for them until at Texas in the first week of November. So if he can keep racking up the stats against Youngstown State, against Texas Tech, against Kansas, um and then he hits some of those high profile games late in the year, TCU, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, uh and then as I mentioned Texas at at, at the start of the month. Uh then or I'm sorry, Oklahoma, not West Virginia. He plays on West Virginia. Um, then <laughs> he could really have a nice stat profile locked up as we head into those high-profile high profile games uh, and be ready to separate himself and have some of those Heisman moments, as we like to say. Yeah.
1: Um, I actually really think Will Greer is similar to the uh, Robert Griffin situation a couple years back where he's going to put up silly numbers and West Virginia should get out to a really hot start of the team. And maybe they uh, lose a little momentum down the stretch. But at that point, with Will Greer's production, it won't matter as much in the eyes of the voters. So I think that's a situation to watch out for. Because I don't don't know if West Virginia is quite good enough to win a national championship, but it is good enough, like Baylor was that year, to start out 7 or 8 and 0 and kind of really contend in the Big 12 and put himself in that position as a Heisman candidate.
0: Yeah, I, I do think though, Tua of Viloa is probably, honestly, the better pick because if Alabama has, if Alabama is going to be one of the best teams in the country, and look, they are, uh, and they also have a quarterback who is not only productive but looks good while being productive, that's going to be really tough to beat. Like that's just that's just going to be tough. Uh, uh, the best player on Alabama, and he's actually fun to watch, and you're not just kind of voting for him because Alabama's number one, and you. sort of have to like that that's going to be tough for anybody to overcome uh but but i do think that maybe there's a chance that uh that that i wonder if maybe there's a chance that tackle by ends up throwing a few too many interceptions like with that first touchdown he threw to jerry judy it was kind of objectively a really bad decision for him to throw that ball <laughs> at that point but the but everything that led up to it looked awesome and uh judy caught the ball so that's all that matters um but
1: you All know, right. I can't believe you're challenging the gospel of Tua right now. He's clearly the savior for Alabama football that has no reason to be saved.
0: Yeah, I am I'm on the Tua train 100%, but the man's got a Chad Kelly streak in him. Uh he's I mean he's definitely better than Chad Kelly, I think, but some of the decision making, I mean I mean you saw it in the National Title game. It, like some of the decisions were bad, but he's so good that things tend to work out more often than they don't. And that is really exciting to me. Um, Well, we're running along here, so we should wrap it up. Chris, thanks so much for hopping on to run through this week's action. You can find Chris on Twitter at Chris underscore Hummer. Morning Blitz is at MorningBlitz247, and I am at Tap 247